welcome to another episode of the Compass Equip podcast. Here at Compass Bible Church, we exist to make disciples of Jesus Christ by reaching people for Christ, teaching people to be like Christ, and training people to serve Christ. And everything that we do here at Compass, including this very podcast, is to fulfill that mission. Well, welcome back, church. So grateful to be joining you to talk about another sermon on the greatness and the authority of Jesus. The title of this week's sermon was Jesus is Greater Than Evil. And the text that we looked at and exposited was Matthew 8, verses 28 through 34. Let me read that for you now. And when Jesus came to the other side, to the country of the Gadarenes, two demon-possessed men met him, coming out of the tombs, so fierce that no one could pass that way. And behold, they cried out, What have you to do with us, O Son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? Now a herd of many pigs was feeding at some distance from them. And the demons begged him, saying, If you cast us out, send us away into the herd of pigs. And Jesus said to them, Go. So they came out and went into the pigs. And behold, the whole herd rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned into the waters. The herdsmen fled. Going into the city, they told everything, especially what had happened to the demon-possessed men. And behold, all the city came out to meet Jesus, and when they saw him, they begged him to leave their region. The preaching point derived from this text was this, that Jesus' dominion over demonic forces ought to give you extreme confidence in his identity and mission to save you from your sins. Before we get into the teaching points, I think it would be worth acknowledging uh, even the end of that preaching point, that his mission was to save you from your sins. Because even as we look at this text that we're in, and, and we go back to Matthew 8 and, and go down just to the next few chap, the next chapter in chapter 9, we see Jesus saying, here's the reason I'm doing all these things, uh, so that you may know that your sins are forgiven. You see that there in, in verse 6. Why does Jesus do all these miracles? Well, he's doing all these miracles to show you that he has the authority on earth to forgive sin. So let's remember that even as we think about the preaching point in this text. Why is Jesus showing his dominion over the forces of evil, over these demonized men? Because he is letting you know that without doubt, unequivocally, that Jesus has dominion over all things and has the ability to forgive sins. With that in mind, I want us to think about the thematic outline of this in these three points. That one, we need to recall Christ's authoritative position over evil. This text begs us over and over again to think about the authoritative position that Christ has over evil. We see in a few of these verses, verses 28 uh, there and, and going into verse 29, particularly verse 28, where we see that the authority of these demons over the region, over those two men, over the village, that no one could even pass by that way because they were so fierce, they were so authoritative. But the minute that Jesus enters the scene, we see just how much authority those demons have when it comes to Jesus. They begin submitting to Jesus. They bow down to Jesus, and they cry out, asking, what do you have to do with us, O Son of God? Have you come to torment us? I mean, who is the authoritative person? If, if you're being tormented, that means the individual tormenting has the authority, has the power over you. And here, we here have clearly Christ's authority over evil. We see that displayed greatly, uh, magnificently, as those demons, the legion, is cast into the giant herd of pigs, and 
going down the side of the cliff, drowning in the sea. It's very clear who has the authority here in this text and why we can trust and believe in who Jesus is as the Son of God and his mission to save us from our sins. We can believe that because of his authority over the forces of evil. Point number two, we need to eagerly anticipate evil's impending judgment. I want to spend some time on this because I think that this is a, is a point that if we apply well in our life, we are going to be able to persevere, uh, to think rightly, to have great confidence in light of the problems that we face here in our world. When you turn on the news and you turn on the TV and you scroll on social media, you have a propensity to have anxiety and to have fear and to have a great amount of concern of all of the evil that you see. And you see it in our community, you see it in our country, and you see it all over the world. And Scripture shows us and teaches us, not that we need to throw our hands up and not do anything, right? We, we even in the 11 o'clock, talked about the, the need to mitigate evil. When we do that, we mitigate evil by preaching the gospel. We mitigate evil by doing good. We mitigate evil by saying no to sin. We mitigate evil uh, when, like the illustration that I used in both services, of, you know, there's an elderly lady getting her purse snatched and robbed. Uh, it would be wonderful. It'd be a great thing for you to go over there and intervene for the safety of that elderly woman. We are not going to look at that elderly woman and say, hey, this eagerly anticipate evil's impending judgment. We're going to go help. We're going to mitigate evil. However, we recognize that we're not going to be able to eradicate evil. And even if we tried hard every single day, every single minute, every single moment, we're going to get on Facebook. We're going to get on YouTube. We're going to get on the news. And we're going to see there is way too much evil for me to mitigate all of it or even a small amount of it. I can mitigate that in my own life, my own personal life, my own family. And as you ought to, there are plenty of biblical principles that teach us to do such things. Uh, But the Bible is also going to teach you that one of the most important things for you to do in light of the evil around you is to look forward to the impending judgment of Satan, of demons, and the unrighteous. I mean, that is one of the very important things for us to do as we get inundated and get anxious and fearful and, and worry about all the evil around us. It's important for us to understand the doctrinal promises of the eternal judgment of the wicked, because that's what we look forward to. We don't look for our, all of our vindication in the here and now. It is good. We even talked about it in the sermon. There are times where the eternal judgment of the wicked is preceded by acts of a temporal judgment. I mean, there are times where we, we, we see evil judged in the here and now, and that justice prevails uh, at given times in, in our culture, and we love that. We're grateful for that. But we know that is not always how it works. And although we we look for that, we fight for the temporal judgment of the wicked in this life, we recognize the amount of evil that goes on in this world and the amount of the schemes of Satan and the forces of evil that are at work. We need to make sure that we're looking and anticipating evil's impending judgment because that's the only answer that is going to sustain us through our life and through our faith because there is no other answer in, in this life in this world, to the answer of evil, other than Christ has conquered the consequences of sin on our behalf. He is conquered on the cross and through his resurrection. Satan's scheme that would bring ultimate death from the garden that we see, that now Adam and Eve are going to die, that Christ has now taken that death upon himself, that none of us shall see the second death. 
But even all of that finds its ultimate fulfillment in the final judgment of the wicked, eschatologically speaking. We've got to keep our minds on that. We've got to focus on, on that if we're going to be living this life faithfully in the here and now. Point number three is that we need to make sure that we get on the right side of Christ's authority. Even as we talked about that thematic point throughout the text, is every individual in that account, relate, how they related to Christ had everything to do with what side of Christ's authority they were on. The demons were on the judgment side of Christ's authority. And so when, when they encounter Christ, they cry out, what do you have to do with us? Have you come here to torment us before the time? I mean, when they see Jesus, they only think about the judgment that's coming. If you think about the way that the villagers related to the authority of Christ, they related to him through their fear of what Jesus was going to do to their economy and way of life. I mean, they saw those men, those demonized men, healed in their right mind, clothed, but yet they were more concerned, not with what the good and the miraculous things that Christ did. They were concerned with, oh, no, this guy, he's so authoritative and so powerful, he's going to change everything. There was no end to the possibilities of the implications of the authority of Christ in their life. And so what they said is, we want you to leave. We don't want you to be here. They related to the authority of Christ through their own fear of their own unwillingness to submit to the authority of Christ. Those formerly demonized men, how did they relate to Christ? They were in their right mind. They were clothed. Matthew or Mark and Luke tell us that this man wanted to go onto the boat and wanted to follow Jesus. They related to Christ through the freedom and liberation that they received. And they understood Christ's authority and they submitted to Christ's authority. And Christ said, go, don't, you're not coming with me, but you can go out into these cities and into these villages and tell them what the Lord has done for you. And the question is the same for you if you're, and you're listening to this, is what side of Christ's authority are you on? Have you turned from your sins and placed your trust in Christ so that you are on the side of Christ's authority that will rule and have dominion over the earth and, and, and ultimately have, have dominion over, over all of the universe. And he will bring all the evil under submission to him. And everyone is going to confess Jesus as Lord, both the saved and the wicked. And, and are you one who, who will rejoice in the name of Christ and confess the name of Christ willfully out of adoration for Christ because you recognize that the authority of Christ has purchased salvation for you? Or are you going to be on the side of Christ's authority uh, of which his judgment will be on, his wrath will be poured out on. And will you, like everyone else, you will confess Jesus as Lord, but will you do so involuntarily by God's decree? Are you going to be on the side of the authority of Christ where judgment is coming and where judgment will prevail? Or are you on the right side of Christ's authority where you will receive his salvation and you will be in, within the kingdom of God, ruling and reigning alongside Christ. Questions you have to answer, things you need to think about, and that's why we give you those application questions for you to be thinking about how to apply these points into your life, and I want to encourage you to do so. They're meaty questions. I think that some of them are dense, but they're so necessary for us to begin thinking rightly about the authority of Christ over evil, the authority of Christ to forgive us for our sins, and ultimately the authority of Christ that tells us that we should submit every aspect of our life, everything, to the authority of Christ and his will for our life. We're going to move on to the Q&A segment of our podcast. We have three great questions here. Uh, three I will try to do my very best to answer. The first question says this, 
I have heard other Christians claim they can cast out demons and rebuke evil from their homes. What does the Bible say about born-again Christians having the authority to do these situations? Well, I think first and foremost, it would be uh, it would be good for us to recognize that the time of the disciples and the time of Jesus were extraordinary times. As a matter of fact, as we look throughout Scripture, there were uh, there are a few times where miracles and it, the extraordinary forces at play are, are operating. I mean, we see uh, we see some of this particularly uh, in the Exodus, uh, where, where Jesus is is taking Israel out uh, of Egypt. We see these extraordinary miracles, the parting of the Red Sea, uh, the burning bush, the pillar uh, of fire uh, by night and the cloud by day. Uh, we see uh, the, the the striking the rock and water coming out. I mean, we, so so many things, the, the plagues. I mean, all the, there's, a, there's a time where you see a lot of these miracles happen, and then there's a long period of time where you don't see these very much. And again, we see a lot of those uh, there in the time of Christ and at the, at the onset of, of the early church where miracul- the miraculous was uh, still extraordinary, and it was extraordinary. Uh, but uh, we see a lot more of that there and then in other periods of history. And so if we first and foremost think about uh, even the, the, the small amount, uh, historically speaking, of the extraordinary miraculous events, we begin framing uh, the ability for the miraculous to be happening and not seeing it as this is what I should expect in everyday Christian life. We just, it just shouldn't be, right? We believe that the uh, charismatic gifts, the apostolic gifts had ceased with the death of the apostles, but you're still right. We have to deal with the idea of of evil and demonic forces. Uh, I want you to think about a couple of texts. Uh, Jude 9, I think, is a good text when we think about uh, how should we deal with demons and Satan. Uh, Jude 9 says, But when the archangel Michael contended with the devil, he was disputing with the devil about the body of Moses. He did not presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment, but he said, The Lord rebuke you. I love that. Even Mike, uh, the archangel Michael says, when I'm going to deal with the devil, I'm going to say, the Lord rebuke you. I'm not going to do it. The archangel of heaven doesn't say, I'm going to take care of you, devil. He says, no, I'm going to, the Lord rebuke you. The Lord judge you. The Lord take care of this situation. I think Acts 19, 11 through 20 is another cautious tale of the seven sons of Sceba, the seven sons of a Jewish high priest who uh, were uh, so inundated with the extraordinary, with the sensational, that they heard of all these, uh, the, the apostles doing these extraordinary miracles and, and even casting out evil spirits, and they thought they could do the same thing. And the problem was, uh, they go up to these demon-possessed men, and they say, I adjure you by the name of Jesus, whom Paul proclaims, to, to, to get out of these men. And uh, the evil spirits answered them, saying, Jesus I know, and Paul I recognized, but who are you? And the men in whom was the evil spirit leaped on them, mastered all of them, overpowered them, so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. And even in that, verse 17 tells us that great fear fell upon everyone, and the name of Jesus was extolled and exalted. I love that. Uh, I don't love uh, what those individuals did in seeking for the sensational and extraordinary, but I do love the fact that even in that situation, the name of Jesus was exalted. And uh, so, yeah, the question is, what do we do about that? Well, I, I don't believe in the deliverance ministry, right? I don't believe that that we have uh, people who are going around and casting out all the demons out of all the people. Uh, I just don't believe that that we are gifted to do such a thing. I, I believe that we should have a uh, a particular kind of 
thought process as we think about Satan and demons, and there should be uh, a healthy uh, a fear of uh, the demonic and of, of, of Satan. Uh, not that we don't trust that Christ is going to have authority over him, but we do entrust exactly that. That when we think about demons and we think about satanic uh, work, that we say, the Lord rebuke you. That I'm going to hand you over to the Lord. I'm going to entrust the Lord's authority over you. And I'm going to entrust that. And that's why, again, we don't think about uh, the implications of this. This is why you need to be careful of how you're going to be handling uh, I think I think things like horror movies. I think of things like you know, and it, it, this pa- even this passive invitation of evil uh, in your home, or you know, are we doing things that are sinful? Are we doing things that are the schemes of Satan? Are we doing things that allow demonic forces uh, that they would be pleased with, that they would find your place as an inviting place to belong, or is is your home and is your life uh, owned by Christ? And and that's an, another thing. It's like we recognize that as I am a, a, a human being. Uh, that I have the Spirit of God within me, well, then I am going to be protected from the spirit of de- demonic forces. So I think the most important thing that you can do is be on the right side of Christ's authority. Trust in Christ. You can't both have demons and the Holy Spirit. It's it's one or the other. And so I think the biggest, most important thing we can do is say, I'm owned by Christ. Uh, I do believe in demonic activity. I truly, surely do. Uh, and... Uh, I recognize uh, that this is a real problem in, in our in our culture, but the question, the answer is still the same: trust in Christ, trust in the authority of Christ. Turn from your sins, place your trust in Christ. If you find yourselves, if you find yourself around demonic activity, get out of it, get away from it. Well, it's in my home. Then get away from your home. Move, find a place to go. I don't want to be. I don't want to be in a place that is found where these things are. I wouldn't want to be it. And I, and I have to ask, you know, at some extent, have I done anything that would uh, it allow the forces of evil to think this is a place they can hang out? I mean, not always the case, but it can be, and it's sure something I need to be thinking about. But what I recognize is I do for sure need to ask myself, you know, am I on the right side of the authority of Christ? And, am I, and I need to entrust the authority of Christ over these demonic forces. And you ought to pray. I'm, I'm sure uh, a proponent of praying if these things if this is a reality in your life, pray for it. Uh, but with w- this idea of thinking that you have the authority, uh, and that's why I talk about, well, did the, the apostles had the authority. Yeah, sure, the apostles did. The, the apostles had authority to raise the dead. The apostles had the authority to heal on command, things that you and I don't have the ability to do. And so I think there is a distinct difference in, in us and the apostolic authority that Christ had given uh, those men in that time of the early church. But I still think there is there's a real problem that you have to deal with if, if these are, are things in your life. And I think what the Bible says is we need to be cautious about uh, what we do when we when we encounter demonic activity. I find that um, Scripture also tells us to, sub- to submit to God, to resist the devil, and he will flee from you. So what's, that's a great text that tells us, so what should we do? Are you submitting to God? Are you resisting the devil? Because if you do, he will flee from you. Submit to God, resist the devil. And there's a really good text to think about. Uh, but I would find that you ought to be cautious uh, lest you um, assume too much about your authority and not enough about the authority of Christ. Uh, second question here is, I realize that the legions of demons that were cast into the sea was a huge and amazing act by Christ displaying his authority. However, 
Can you touch more on the power he exerted on the healing of these two men and how that points to his love and long-suffering for all men? Were these men forgiven? Did they follow Christ after? Scripture isn't totally clear, but maybe we can infer something from that text. Well, the Scripture does say in Mark and Luke that he they, they didn't follow Christ in the sense of going with him. They went back into their villages, and they went and shared with people what uh, what God had done in their life. Were these men forgiven? Uh, I, I don't know. Uh, you're right. I don't know, but it, it wasn't necessarily true that everyone that Christ healed was forgiven from their sins. Uh, we see like next week in chapter nine, some were, uh, but we also understand that the forgiveness of sin in, in the way that we think about it, right? And that's what you ought to understand the way that we think about it in the dispensation of grace, that forgiveness that we have in Christ happened after the cross. And so we ask, when did the disciples when did they receive the Holy Spirit? When, where was the seal of their salvation? At Pentecost, after the cross. And so I think it's important as you think about were they saved, were they not? Uh, on this side of the cross, uh, those questions are a little more difficult to answer because they didn't have the Holy Spirit. Uh, they were still called to repent, and we trust that God's going to take care of that. And it is the same way in the Old Testament and the New Testament how people were saved, by faith. And so by faith... Uh, these men could have been saved in Christ, uh, but it does not say that. Uh, and you talk about the compassion and forbearance of God. Over, absolutely, it's very compassionate that God took these men and, and relieved them of the suffering that they were going through. Uh, absolutely, that it shows that his love and his care for humanity. Uh, but in, in looking at that, we ought not to miss the main point of Matthew's inclusion of this, which was the authority of Christ. And at, at the end of the day, we in the authority of Christ, we are trusting and, and uh, believing in the uh, benevolence of Christ, the goodness of Christ in his authority. And so, yeah, we can talk about his love and his long-suffering uh, for, for those who will be saved because— uh, that's what we look at when we think of his authority. What is his authority doing? Well, it's giving goodness and kindness to those who will be saved because he has the authority to do so. So absolutely, I agree with that 100%. The third question here says, was Jesus being merciful by sending the demons into the pigs? Why didn't he just deal with them right then and there? Uh, was Jesus being merciful to the demons? I, I don't believe so because he did temporal in, in, in uh, time and space. Right in that moment, he did judge them by sending him to the, them into the pigs and then them dying, drowning there in the Sea of Galilee. And we ask the question: Why didn't he just deal with them right then and there? I mean, what is the, what do you mean by that? Uh, we could mean why didn't he just take them and put them into the pit of hell and chain them up right then and there? Uh, maybe that's what we mean by just dealing with them. Obviously, uh, God's not. We don't think we don't believe in annihilation, right? We don't believe that these demons are going to to die any more than your soul is going to die. Your soul isn't going to die. Your body's going to die, uh, but your soul isn't. It's it's immortal. It's eternal. And so, really, the question is, what happened to the souls, or, or what happened to the the, the immaterial uh, beings of these demonic forces. I, I don't know. The scripture doesn't say, but we can we can definitely say that there was a, a judgment pronounced on those demons there in that picture. Uh, and really, what I want to point you to in your own question is, what are we are we looking for the temporary judgment of evil? Or are we anticipating evil's impending eternal judgment? Which is what I want to point you to again. You know, why didn't he just deal with them right then and there? I mean, isn't that always why doesn't God just deal with all the evil right here and right now? And I think it is at least worth acknowledging that we we shouldn't be so glad that God would deal with all the evil right now because 
What about the evil of your unregenerate family? What about the evil of all those who are committing now who will be saved at some point? Right? We can't just we can't just expect God to get rid of all the evil right now because if he gets rid of all the evil right now, he's going to get rid of all of us. I mean, do you commit evil right now? Do I commit evil right now? Uh, we thank God for his mercy that extends to people. And uh, when I think about the demons in particular, I think I think I'm I am I'm looking and entrusting that there's coming a time where those demons are going to be eternally judged. And I'm looking and anticipating the evil, the, the impending judgment of those demons. Um, and although they received a taste of that there in Matthew 8, they're going to receive the full dose of that uh, in the eschaton to come. And I'm looking forward to that. I, I just can't wait until God arrests all the evil and eradicates it by sending it all to eternal judgment and torment. And I'm looking forward to that. And so I don't think he was being merciful. I think that he was showing his authority over them uh, and, again, reminding them that he does there uh, in verse 29 of their coming judgment when the time comes. Just a few announcements. Uh, Easter and Good Friday are coming up. So just a reminder that our Good Friday service, that Friday before Easter, we're having two services, one at 4.30 and one at 6. So be considering what service you're going to come to and who you're going to invite. And that Sunday, we have our Easter celebration service. We will have three services, one at 8.30, one at 10, and the third at 11.30. Be considering who you're going to invite. We have thousands of flyers. We want to encourage you uh, to to take some of those flyers, invite people. We have a uh, an Easter outreach. We're going to go door-to-door around the community coming up in the next couple of weeks. We want you to be there. Uh, get ready to go invite the community to come here, the saving grace of the gospel. Also, the very next week, we have our baptism service coming, and we have lots of people registering for baptism. Uh, we want to encourage you, if you haven't been baptized, if you've been saved and you've not been baptized since you've been saved, we want to encourage you to register for baptisms. Go on to compasshillcountry.org slash baptisms and register today for our baptism service coming up right after Easter. And then finally, we have our nationally equipped conference coming up June 14th through the 16th entitled The Biblical Gospel. And we want to encourage you, if you haven't already, register for this uh, national conference where we're inviting down all of our sister churches. We have a lot of plenary sessions, main sessions. We're going to have a lot of breakout sessions that help you handle the biblical gospel, learn how to be able to share the gospel even to different kinds of people, different kinds of worldviews, atheism, Mormonism, Catholicism. Uh, Muslim, Islam, all those those different kinds of worldviews. You're gonna learn. Uh, even maybe if you're if you're a wife or a woman here, and you have a, an unsaved husband, uh, there's even a breakout session for women on how to share the gospel with your unregenerate husband in a way that still uh, honors and respects him. I think those are wonderful breakout sessions. We look forward to our conference. We want you uh, to go to theequipconference.com and you can register there. There'll be childcare. Uh, available from birth all the way up to fifth grade as well. So really looking forward to that conference, and we want you to register soon. Uh, With that being said, I hope this podcast was helpful for you. Look forward to joining you each week here, whether you're at home or in your car or about uh, your day. I'm grateful that you spent some time listening in to the Compass Equip podcast. I'll see you next week.